Lord God, you've called us to give thanks in all circumstances. And even when microphones don't work well, we give you thanks. And we give you praise, Lord God, for your amazing, committed, consecrated love toward us. Move us, Lord, to be joyfully generous in response. For Jesus' sake, amen. Yeah, the microphone problem reminds me of that old joke about that pastor who was accustomed in worship services to saying, the Lord be with you, and the people would say, and also with you. And then his microphone wasn't working right, and he said, mm, there's something wrong with this microphone. And they all said, and also with you. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true, I admit it. There's something wrong with me. But you know what? There's something wrong with you too. And thankfully, Jesus has taken care of all that at the cross. And we can respond with joyful, joyful generosity. Welcome to the final week of our sermon series on the generosity journey. Today is what we're calling Consecration Sunday, and it's kind of like the capstone experience of the four weeks of our generosity journey. Over these first three weeks, we've heard God's call to us to be generous in the way that we use our lives and our resources so that heaven can be more full and hell can be more empty as a result of our commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ and its proclamation to the north, south, east, and west, and wherever we can take it. In our series, we've been exploring the quality of our generosity around three uh, key biblical concepts. We've been learning that generosity is in meant, meant to be, first of all, intentional, secondly, sacrificial, and thirdly, joyful. Today, we're going to focus on that third component. We're going to learn the importance of pursuing joy in our generosity journey. You know, I think it's fair to say that nobody likes to do something because they are told that they have to do it. Nobody likes to do something out of compulsion. That's not a very good motivator in the long run. And likewise, friends, our generosity is not meant to be a have to. Rather, God is looking for a joy-filled response to his goodness that says, hey, I get to take part in this worldwide effort of God's mission. I get to take part. I get to contribute. It's something I want to do. That was the attitude that St. Paul was encouraging in his second letter to the Christians in Corinth, Greece. As you know, we've been concentrating on chapters 8 and 9 in this worship ser uh, series, on uh, uh, chapters 8 and 9 from 2 Corinthians. And the circumstances surrounding the writing of that letter was that there was a severe famine in the land of Israel. And Paul was concerned for the well-being of the Christians in Jerusalem in particular and for the the potential of the gospel mission being uh, cut short as a result of this famine. And so Paul was encouraging all the Christian churches to gather offerings to help the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem 
so that the mission of the gospel could continue in Jerusalem and beyond that city. So our text for today is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. As I read the opening verses, notice the attitude that Paul is encouraging when, when it comes to generosity. The opening words are these. He says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. I love that phrase. By the way, the word in the original Greek of, for, for translated cheerful in English, the word for that is hilarious. And yes, we get the word hilarious from that word. God loves a hilarious giver, a cheerful giver, someone who does this with joy in their heart, someone who has a smile on their face over the opportunity that they seize to be generous for the sake of the gospel. God wants us to find joy in being generous for the sake of getting that good news message of Jesus out into the world and into our own community. Now, Paul goes on in this part of the letter to describe the outcome of that kind of joyful generosity. We continue with verse 8. He says, And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. God is going to bless and multiply what is given. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And now, catch, here's the key, the next section. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. He goes on and says, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. You see that one of the results, the outcomes of generosity is greater thanks to God. He goes on to say, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Notice that in joyful generosity on the part of believers, joy is multiplied. And the praise of God is increased. More and more people give praise and thanks to God when we are generous for the sake of the gospel. That's one of the outcomes of joyful generosity. God is praised many times over as he is worthy to be so praised. But now we come to the final verse of this text, verse 15. And this final verse provides the real reason that we can be joyful. 
And therefore, it's the real basis for joyful generosity. Listen to the last verse. It's simply profound. He says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That gift from God came all wrapped up, you see, in swaddling clothes in the person of baby Jesus. In that person of Jesus, born in Bethlehem, God became man. We call it the incarnation. God took on human flesh. He was God with us in the person of Jesus, whose birth, of course, we are going to celebrate in about a month from now. God's greatest gift to us was himself in human form, and Paul calls that his indescribable gift. And that indescribable gift of God didn't stop there in a manger in Bethlehem. No, his gift kept on giving at a cross. For Jesus' death and his resurrection is indeed the gift that keeps on giving. That gift keeps on giving on a daily basis. As I, in my honesty, admit my daily sins, confess them to God, and hear him say in his word and in the sacraments, you are forgiven because of Jesus, the gift that keeps on giving. It's a gift that keeps on giving as I'm reminded every day, and you are too, that through your faith in Jesus, Heaven awaits you. And that gives this life meaning and purpose. And that gives us reason to be joyful. That's why Paul could say, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. For you see, Paul himself knew very well the meaning of Jesus' death and resurrection. He knew it personally. Because Paul, who called himself chief of sinners, knew how much he had been forgiven and was so excited to want to share that message with a world that needs God's love. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, Paul says. And you know, such a gift from God calls for a response from us too, a response of joy and a response of consecration. Do you remember how those Macedonian Christians up north responded? We're going to go back a little bit to the opening verses of chapter 8 here as a review of how those Macedonian Christians up north gave a joyful response to the gospel. Paul says in chapter 8, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. Catch this part. They exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God, also to us. Notice 
the consecration involved here on the part of the Macedonians. First, they consecrated themselves to the Lord. They devoted their hearts and their lives to serving God above all things, to serving Jesus and his mission. And then they consecrated their gifts for the Lord's work. And all of that was not done out of a sense of have to. It was done out of joy, a joy-filled response to God's grace. I think the Macedonians give us a beautiful demonstration of joyful consecration and what that can look like. You know, when we look throughout the Bible, we see other examples of consecration where God's people consecrate or set aside days to celebrate with joy the great things that God had done for them and the great things which God was positioning them for into the future. Think of some of those stories. Noah, Noah and his family were on that ark with the animals. I don't know what it must have smelled like inside that ark, but when the waters that had flooded the entire world finally subsided and they came out of that ark, I think they did more than simply thank God for being, getting away from the animal smells. The first thing Noah did was he built an altar to the Lord. And he consecrated himself and his family to the service of God. He consecrated the land around him to the glory of God. He consecrated this brand new world, if you will, to the glory of God. It was all about a joyful consecration. We think of the story of the Israelites, who for more than 400 years were slaves in Egypt. And God sent Moses to deliver them out of slavery. And you remember how that whole story went? God instructed the people to consecrate themselves to the Lord by taking the blood of a lamb and putting it on the door frames of their houses and to trust God's promise that he would deliver them. And that night, the angel of the Lord came through and passed over the houses that had the blood of the lamb on it and saved their lives, sparing them death. They were delivered from slavery in Egypt through the exodus, and God eventually led them to the promised land. But the celebration of Passover became an annual celebration and an annual call to consecrate oneself for the glory of God and to remember his saving power. Consecration is throughout the Bible. We think about those exiles who were in faraway Babylon for more than 70 years, and then God finally allowed a remnant to return back to the homeland and particularly to Jerusalem. Under the leadership of people like Ezra and Nehemiah, they returned. First, they rebuilt the walls around the city of Jerusalem for security. Then they rebuilt the temple for the glory and and praise and worship of God. But Ezra's specific focus was to rebuild the people's spiritual lives, that they they might be re-consecrated to live for the glory of God. He proclaimed the word of the Lord, and as they heard the word of God declared, 
they broke out in tears. When Ezra saw their tears, he wanted to encourage them. And he said to them, don't cry, rejoice. And he said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And they responded with joy and they dedicated and consecrated themselves to the worship of the one true God, Yahweh. Of course, the greatest act of consecration that we see in God's story was that of Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. As Jesus consecrated himself for the work of our salvation with the words, not my will, but thy will be done, Father. And he resigned himself to be arrested and eventually crucified. Friends, given all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ, can our response be anything but joyful consecration as a grand thank you to what he has done for us? Consecration. Here at Shepherd of the Desert, today is a day of joyful consecration. I want to ask you, what is God calling you to consecrate today? First, I would pray that the first thing you consecrate to the Lord is yourself, your heart, soul, mind, life dedicated to the glory of God. But what else? As we have come to the weekend before Thanksgiving and are mindful of the many blessings that God has given every one of us, what of your resources will you joyfully consecrate for the work of the gospel through this congregation? How about your time? How will you consecrate your time for the glory of God and for the effort of bringing the gospel message to our community and beyond? How about your talents and gifts and, and abilities? How might you consecrate those for the joint effort of this congregation to make a difference for the sake of Jesus? And yes, how about your treasures? How will you consecrate your treasures in such a way that they will make a difference not only now but for all eternity as your treasures are used to advance the message of Jesus? Where are you in your generosity journey? This past week, you should have received in the mail one of these consecration cards, and uh, you were asked to uh, uh, answer a couple of questions on here and then bring them with you today. Now, you may have not uh, brought them today. That's okay. Uh, if you think of it, bring them next week. We have extra copies, by the way. If you need a, a copy, pick it up in the, in the narthex from the ushers. Uh, but we're asking you to respond to a, a couple of uh, questions as this worship series ends, we'd like you to share with us, first of all, how your generosity journey is changing. We're not asking you to put any numbers on here. We're more interested in your narrative, your story of how God is working in your heart and life. How is your generosity journey changing? And then secondly, how will your financial generosity toward ministry at Shepherd be more intentional 
more sacrificial, more joyful. If you haven't done it yet, take a moment this week to write, write a little story of how your generosity journey is progressing. Share this with us. You don't have to put your name on it if you don't want to. Uh, if you did bring it with you today, we're going to ask you when you come up for communion uh, to simply drop the card in the baskets that are at the ends of the, the four pews up front here. Drop it in the nearest basket. If you didn't bring it with you, like I say, bring it next Sunday. But Pastor Scott would like to read the stories. And he's looking to share a few of those stories anonymously with the whole community. Examples of how God is moving us to be more and more generous for the sake of the gospel. Friends, I pray that this generosity journey series has done a number of things. First, I, I pray that it has challenged you. I pray that it has stretched you. It stretched me. But most importantly, I pray that it has encouraged you. I pray that it has encouraged you to see anew God's amazing generosity toward us in Jesus Christ. And then I pray that your heart is moved to respond with generosity that is truly intentional, sacrificial, and downright hilarious. Have fun being generous for the sake of the gospel. Amen. And may the peace of God would pass as human understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.